Hello and welcome my partners in crime and you know as always I say that in the best possible way. Before I start on this case I just want to say this is a murder of a 14 year old girl. There's a Scottish case, it's in um, Dalkeith, I hope I got that right, apologise right now if I haven't got that right. But I'm, I think because of this case is or could be and I, what I think it is questionable, without a doubt. Um, and when you hear this case, I'll, I'll leave it to you to make up your own minds. This girl's murder was terrible. Um, shocking, really, what happened to this young girl, 14 year old. So this case took place in Scotland, in Down Keith, on the 30th of um, June, 2003. So that if this is a miscarriage of justice, and as I said it possibly could be, this young lad has been in prison for a very long time. You know, we're now in 2021. I think, what is it, April the 22nd, 2021. And this young lad was 15 at the time, and 16 when he went to court and put in prison for a murder and I, I think I think when we look at this case and I hate to bring up old cases unless there's reason to do it I would have just done this murder as a murder but when you read this case and there's been documentaries on it and there's different stuff there's some fantastic investigators as well that's investigated this case and maybe the Scottish investigators should take a leaf out of their book I think um, it, it really is a questionable case here. How they can say this case is safe, I do not know. So anyway, I'm going to talk to you now about the murder and a little bit leading up to it. And then we're going to go into the arrest. So look, Jodie Jones was 14 year old at the time of her death on the 30th of June 2003. Now her 15 year old boyfriend, Luke Mitchell, and this is what this case, I suppose, is really about, is Luke Mitchell. He came under suspicion, actually, straight away, and he was then arrested several months later. And I think Jodie left her home about 5.30pm on that evening to go and visit uh, Luke, because they were boyfriend and girlfriend. And, you know, he was 15, she was 14. They were sexually active, um, that was known, and I know her mother had um, really tried to stop that and stuff. You're talking about teenagers, very difficult, as we all know when we have teenage girls and boys, we don't always know what they're up to. But she did try to stop all that going on. So now Luke wasn't only seeing her, Jodie, he was sexually active with other people. Listen, they're 15 and 14. Plus, they went to the same high school and he was supposedly a drug dealer at that high school. You know, puff, marijuana, that sort of stuff at 15. So no one's saying here that this boy is a perfect child. No one. But does that make him a murderer? 
keep this in mind as we go through. So also with Luke and actually with Jodie, they are what I would call um, gothic, goths. They dressed different. They had their own style. As many, many kids and adults actually dress like and trying to find their way in life, trying to find their identity, aren't they? And this is what clothing does. I love florals, I love different things like that. Now Luke and um, Jodie liked that sort of clothing, the dark makeup, the dark hair, all this sort of thing. And I think he says himself that he was like the person in this town, or small sort of town it is, that stood out. He stood out because he was different. Now, I'm the one <laughs> for promoting difference because I think you should be yourself. But what this did was, it made people then weary of him. You know, they pointed to him, oh, you know, he's a, he's a lad that looks like that. Well, lots of people look like that. These are kids, or they were kids, going through a stage in their life. <clears throat> and he may have actually always wanted to remain, you know, this goth. He may have. So they've got this relationship going. Yes, he wasn't, you know, committed just to her. They were young. There was no marriage here. Just a young boyfriend and girlfriend. And I think this evening she had told her parents, her mother, that she was going to go to see Luke. And that's where she set off. Now she had, when she set off from her home, she had to walk through like this wooded area. Now Luke says on that day at 5.30pm, he was at home around this time, all, actually all, all night, up until the body was found about 10pm at night, with his mother cooking dinner. Now his brother says, well he doesn't know that if Luke was actually home, because Luke's brother was at home as he states, watching pornographic movies, X-rated movies. That's what he was doing. And he says, actually, when questioned by the police, that he wouldn't have done that if people were in the home. Now, um, we'll come on to this a little bit later on, but remember that point, that now you have even the brother saying, not that he wasn't in the home, but he didn't see it. He may have been too engrossed in what he was watching. It happens. Anyway, so about 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, Jodie is nowhere to be seen. The parents are worried and stuff. And I think they go to Luke's to look for Jodie. And then Luke, or Luke goes looking for her. Anyway, they're now looking. And now there is three people looking. You have Luke looking. You have Jodie's mum looking. And Jodie's sister's boyfriend looking. Now Luke had a German Shepherd, or an Alsatian dog. And that's what he took with him when they were searching for Jodie. Not looking for a body, they're looking for Jodie. Now as they walk through this wood, 
what the prosecution are going to say, or they did say, is that Luke knew to jump over, broken down, um, and I'll try and get a photo of it and show you, a broken down wall, so you had to climb up and jump over, and he found Jodie's body. And so that's, that is what's put him under suspicion. But there was other people here. I think the sister was there as well. The boyfriend, the sister, and the mother, and Luke. There was four of them. So this is what happened. So Jodie's now body has been found over this wall in this wooded area in an absolutely terrible state. The girl had been beaten, the girl had been raped, the girl was nearly decapitated. Um, we could, you could tell she had struggled. She was also tied up, I think, using her own um, clothing. But now, the story is here. So they're saying that Luke, because he found this body over this wall at 10 o'clock at night, he knew where that body was because he'd done the murder. Now what really happened on that evening is that you had all these people looking, these four looking, plus the dog. Now the dog was the one that went over the wall. Now, as you know, we love dogs. And in many, many places, a dog is used to find bodies. You haven't got to be trained. Listen, these dogs are trained. But dogs have got, I think, two million percent more smelling than we've got, that's what we want to call it. Plus he knew Jodie, this dog. He knew her. She hadn't have been dead long. They think she had died probably within the first 15 minutes of leaving home. You're outside. The dogs jumped the fence, jumped this wall, and then Luke has jumped over, and so that's why he's found this body. The thing is with this dog, and other dogs, many bodies are found, aren't they? By dog walkers. So, I think, are we saying then, that when we find a body, or the dog finds a body, that you're immediately under suspicion? Of course not. Of course you're not. But what this police did, and this is the confusing thing with this place. From that minute on, they separated Luke, once it was called, they separated Luke from the other group and kept him here, as if he was a suspect. Now, okay, give him that. But they didn't question any of the other three, the mother, the sister, the boyfriend, the sister's boyfriend, they was not questioned. So Luke was under suspicion right from then and he was treated at that point like he was the only perpetrator in this crime. I don't think they looked for anybody else because of the way he looked, because of the way he was acting, because he found the body, they said, that's why they went for Luke. So then they've questioned Luke in the police station. 
and they questioned him, a 15 year old in the UK, in Scotland, in 2003, <laughs> without a lawyer present, refusing it, really. He didn't have an appropriate adult, they didn't call his mother or anything. They didn't tell the mother that he was being questioned. They just, you know, he's not a witness, and even if he was a witness, he should have had somebody there with him, an adult. They didn't do it. They didn't bother. Not only did they question him, they interrogated him. They interrogated a 15-year-old for many, many hours. Then Luke has asked to go to the toilet. So then we have this massive, big police officers that sort of frog marched him to the toilet. And as he's trying to use the urinal in the toilet, they're screaming at him. They are treating him like a convict who has no rights. This is a child. This was a 15-year-old boy who's found his girlfriend murdered. And this is what they're doing. Now, in this case, there is no forensic evidence at all that ties Luke Mitchell to this case. Nothing. Jodie's body, as I've said, was, her throat was cut so many times that she was nearly decapitated. The blood would have been everywhere. This boy would have been covered in blood. Then we think, okay, he could have washed, gone home, murdered her, gone home, washed it, got rid of the clothes. But when they searched his home and they done, you know, forensic analysis and that on his home, there was no DNA there either. <clears throat> there was no blood. There was no nothing. No samples at all. Right. So now we're thinking, you've done this, or you're meant to have done this to a girl, beat her. The boy didn't have a mark on him. Now we know Jodie fought back. They know that. She had no DNA on her of him. Not at all. There's no DNA evidence in this case whatsoever. Nothing. So that's shocking enough, isn't it? I think the only piece of DNA actually they did find on her T-shirt was the sister's boyfriend's DNA. Now that has been ruled out as anything other than that because that was his shirt that Jodie was wearing on that day. But he wasn't treated as a suspect <clears throat> at all, ever. Even on, even though he was there when they found the body. None of the others present at finding this body were ever treated as suspects like Luke Mitchell was. So then I think to myself, it's a bit questionable here, isn't it, really, when you think. The police have not gone by the books. They haven't used the full process that this boy had a legal right to. They've discarded that. And you think, why? If they're so sure 
that this boy did it. Why would you take the risk of losing a case over that if you're so sure? So there's questions here about this police officers and the investigation actually into this. But this case reminds me of the Robert Napper case. And, uh, you know, I think with that case, remember I said to you of Colin Stagg in that case, and if you haven't watched that case, you should watch it, it's a shocking case. It, with Colin Stagg, they couldn't see past, could they? They had their blinkers on. That's who done it. Even though there was actually DNA evidence of other people, not his, that was discarded. A little bit like this one, wasn't it? Now I'm not saying that he done it, but I'm saying if there's no DNA at all on a body or in the surrounding area to do with him, how could he have possibly done this murder? We have forensic testing for a reason. And then we find out that there was a used condom as well placed on the floor or discarded on the floor with semen in it. And again, that semen did not match Luke's. So I have to think now, what else did they have then? Then they had, they say, an eyewitness. Now an eyewitness, and I say it all the time, an eyewitness, if I'm looking at you for a good 15 minutes and I know why I'm looking at you and you're not holding a gun at me or a knife at me or you're not threatening me, I could probably pick you out of a crowd. Probably could. If you though was driving down a street, now this street, if you're coming down the street, then there's a left hand turn, there's a roundabout. So now you've got to look, haven't you? If your drivers, you're looking, and I think in America it would go the other way, but in England we're turning left and we drive on the left. Do we? Don't know. Anyway, I drive. <laughs> Anyways, come down this street. This woman, she's come down the street at 30 mile an hour. Now we're on 30 miles an hour on the street. Come to a roundabout, you're turning left. So you're looking to see if any other cars are coming. Wait, because you have to give way to your right, you see, in England. So she's turned left. And as she's coming down this 30 mile an hour, the speed limit here, she says that she thinks she saw Luke and Jodie arguing at 30 miles an hour. A blonde-headed lad sort of arguing. Okay. That's it. That is it. So, so for now, that's all the police have got. There is no DNA. Now we live in a world, and even in 2003, a used condom <laughs> with DNA in it is enough to give you a profile. It may not be in the system, but it's there for future use. But if you're then trying to blame a 15 year old for murder and rape, of this girl, but lying there near her is a used condom. I think there's some issues there, really. The other thing is the clothing. 
So we know now they've searched him, they've done all him, he's not got a mark on him, and we know the person that would have done this would have probably have had marks or something on him because the girl fought for her life. She fought for it. Even at 14, she fought. We know now there's no DNA in the home at all that relates anywhere to this murder. Nothing. Then we have an eyewitness, don't we? That really, <laughs> you know, I will say about eyewitnesses. Yes, it could have been. She couldn't be sure, could she? Be a bloody miracle if she was sure, unless she'd stopped, looked, when you're driving. And I think the investigators, this one that done these documentaries, I, I don't know the name, but they're very, very good um, investigators, took on this case just to look, to see what else, or could he have done it? Of course he could have done it. Anyone could have done it. He, he must have been bloody good at 15 to get away with that, really. To have no blood, no DNA left anywhere, no forensics anywhere, in the home, on his clothing. But then the police, you said, see, they said, oh, he's burnt the clothing, he's gone home, he's showered, his mother's helped him, he's gone home, he's showered, they've burnt the clothes. So they've checked everywhere in this barrel. There is no clothes burnt. There is no evidence of that at all. Now we come on to some other suspects. And there was some other people in this area, and there is one, and this is where I now come back again to Colin Stagg and the um, Robert Napper case. Because Colin Stagg looked very similar to Robert Napper, and I think if you watch that case, you'll see that I put side by side up of them. Now, Luke looks very similar to someone else who could have done this murder. Now, unfortunately, I think that boy died of a drug overdose. But one of his friends has said, one of this lad's friends have said, that on that day, he had come home with scratches on his face. Now remember I said, Jodie fought back. Plus this lad has written in things and books at his school that he wanted to kill someone. So it could have been him. Now where Jodie's body was found, if you come out the wood a little bit and cross a field, no one would have seen you. And that is where he was staying at the time, five minutes away. There was also two other people on motorbikes or mopeds and these mopeds were seen by a passerby or walking through this wood, propped up against the wall with the break in it. Where were these two lads? I think they questioned them and um, they said they didn't see anything. So we don't know. There is other people, I think now, suspects of something. Um, well, not really suspects because <clears throat> you can't say that, can we? Because these police officers and the legal system will not allow a new trial to happen, no matter what evidence you put in front. 
of the court. Actually, the court didn't even care that Luke's rights, human rights, was breached in that interview. Now Luke, until today, has still remained and still says he did not do this crime. Now he was given, I think, 20 years, minimum 20 years, and will stay in there really, and on, under Her Majesty's pleasure, meaning to when they want to let him out. And if he says, and they've asked him, to admit this crime, then he will be released. He will say, he has said and stated, I will stay in this prison until I die because I'm not going to admit anything because I didn't do it. If I walk out of here, I want to walk out a free man. So now you're talking about a 15 year old boy at the time in 2003, who had his human rights ripped from him by police officers they interrogated him without counsel present. They bullied him. They interrogated him. They threatened him, a 15-year-old boy, because they had such a safe case, didn't they? Now, it's this sort of behaviour, and it's the same sort of behaviour as that we saw in the Napa case with Colin Stagg. Now, Colin Stagg's life was ruined and he spent about 18 months to two years in prison for a murder he did not commit. And if the police had had their way, they wouldn't have looked for anyone else, even though they had DNA evidence for somebody else, they pinned it on him because they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't accept that something else or somebody else could have done this crime. Even though, the same as with Luke, there was no evidence apart from someone said, it looks like him. And also, this case has got such similarities to that, because then they said that Luke Mitchell was a de devil worshipper. And they said the same thing about Colin Stagg in that trial, because he had a few black magic books, I think two or one, made him a Satanist. Now we're talking about here a 15 year old and he did have some books. Then they said the body of Jody was left like the Black Dahlia murders. And so they stated, or the um, prosecution stated, that Luke had this fascination with Marilyn Manson because Marilyn Manson paints, and one of his paintings uh, he does is like this Black or the, the death of one of the women. But the, the thing is, is when they've checked his computers, and they've checked everything, from phones to computers to everything, in 2003, it was easy to check. He'd never even researched Mar Marilyn Manson. He'd never even researched anything to do with murder at all. Nothing. So again, the prosecution have got a job to do. That's their job, to tell the jury a story, what they want you to believe. Now, I don't know whether, what the defence was doing in this, I just don't, in this case. I just don't. <laughs> I can't get it, I can't understand it. You have a prosecution throwing all this stuff, circumstantial, 
minimal. No forensics. He was, you know, because he's a goth, he loved Marilyn Manson. He copied, copycat of the Black Dahlia murders. Nonsense. Absolutely nonsense. But the jury believed it, you see. I don't, I wasn't there at this trial, to tell you the truth. I don't know. I think it was railroaded, this case, from day one. Now, the issues I have with cases like this is when we have a young girl of 14, this sort of murder of this girl, whoever did this was, would have gone on to do other things or could have done other things anywhere else. We don't know. The money it costs now for this trial. Now, I think Luke's trial was the biggest single person's trial in Scottish history. Well, you'd think they'd bloody get it right, wouldn't you? You'd think that if you're going to take someone to court and you're going to prosecute them for murder, that you at least get your interview skills right. The police do this a lot. They don't listen. They don't investigate everything. They have their own mindset. And I think this is exactly what happened in this case. The police have not looked for any other suspects because they had him, didn't they? As far as they was concerned, that was it. Job done. I don't know if it was. I don't know if it was. Because this boy's still in prison and still saying he's innocent and will not be released until he says he's guilty and he won't say it because he says he didn't do it. But then there's no evidence to prove that he did it. At all. So, I, you know, I've had a lot of people, you know, in the community and my partners in crime asking me about this case. And so I've read this case and I'd love to say to you, I'm 100% he done it or 100% he didn't. Listen, you don't know. But I think on evidence alone, because what's the point of studying evidence? What's the point of having evidence that's admissible? Whether you're going to use it or not. You know, what's, what's the point? I mean, evidence is a very difficult subject to learn, by the way, in law. But, you know, th this makes a mockery of the legal system, this case. So this boy has had, I don't know how many um, appeals and stuff he's gone to. He's gone to the Human Rights Court. He's gone everywhere. And I think the judge said, well, no, you know, I think all of them have said, no, it's been denied. But, oh yes, you know, we know that your rights were breached and the police acted in a terrible way. Yes, they did. But I think, I don't think what people are not getting here is if we're going to run criminal trials like this, if you're going to allow, you know, circumstantial evidence in and it comes down to which lawyer can talk the best or tell the best story, really, that's what it really comes down to. There's no evidence. When we start convicting people of stuff because we think they've done it, you know, in law, we don't assume anything. And I think this is what should start these offices. You shouldn't assume anything because the minute you assume something, you close yourself up because you think you already know. And so you've, this is what's happened again in this case. They've lost track. They've got him. I'm done. That he done it. The blinkers are on. 
any other suspect now is gone. And if it was this boy that killed himself from drugs, overdose, the one with the scratches on the face that lived five minutes across the field from where she was, or some other person, or persons in that area may have done this. You've allowed a killer to go free. And again, you could have put an innocent person in prison for a crime they didn't commit. It's shocking, really. So then, as the time's gone on with this case, I mean, Luke's, I think Luke's mother owned like a caravan, um, let out caravans and stuff like that, or sold caravans or stuff like that, mobile homes and stuff like that. She had a business. I think um, when Luke was about 11, the parents um, separated, and so the mum was looking after Luke, and he had a good childhood. You know, he was um, he used to ride horse riding, he'd done horse riding, done different things. He wasn't too bad at school. Um, you know, typical teenager, really. Typical boy teenager. But did it make him a murderer? All right, so he sold a bit of drugs, did this, that, and the other. That's not, it doesn't make him a murderer. He was always sleeping with Jodie. He was sleeping with other girls. He didn't have a fascination with Marilyn Manson. He didn't. And I think because of the way he looked, it was easy for the prosecution to put this across to people. He's different. He's a Satanist. He's a devil worshipper. He likes the Black Dahlia murders. He, that's what he's doing. He's copycat them. And they believed it. And this poor woman then, as <laughs> her whole business is gone. Not through lack of finance and stuff, which now she's in, because of fighting different things, but because people vandalised it. They trashed it. They then didn't want them living there. But she said, we've done nothing wrong. And for many years they called her a liar and everything because Shay said she gave him an alibi and I think that was his special defence or his, was an alibi that he was with his mother at the time cooking dinner and that's what they've said all the way from the beginning of this trial actually right in the investigation that's what they've said now I think last year I think 2000 or even this year 2020 they did a lie detector test she did one first and she passed now listen Lie detector tests are not, you know, admissible in court, are they? We know that. But she wasn't lying. She didn't foul at all. Not a blimp. So then he decides, Luke decides, I need to take a lie detector test. I want to take one. And they asked him the same questions. And he passed. He was at home cooking with his mother. So unless they're really good at lying and keeping their, you know, body and their heart rates and everything else that goes on and your sweat rate, everything that goes on when you're having a lie detector test done, but they both passed. So this is what brings me back now to the brother. What was the brother doing? Because we know there was drugs in the house. Was he out of his head on drugs watching his porn? Probably. Now the boy didn't lie either, because I don't think he thought he needed to lie, the brother. He told the truth to the police. I don't know. I was watching Paul. That's what he was doing. 
He didn't try and give him an alibi at all. He told the truth. And really, that then gave the police, these investigators, if that's what you'd like to call them, the open door. Well, your brother says you wasn't there. Well, the brother couldn't have said, because he's watching Paul. So anything that they could have used against Luke, they did. Now this case, really, there's a lot more to this case, but this was a savage knife, knife attack on a 14-year-old girl on the 30th of June, 2003. We still have this man now, and he is a man, saying I'm innocent. And there's other similarities, actually, which I'm going to have to bring up about this press. Because the press love it, don't they? They love to feed that. They've got a suspect, they're going to go for him. Even if he's 15, they're going to go for him. So I think early on the press, <coughs> the press um, asked could they do an interview with him. And to tell the truth, I don't think he thought it was an interview. I think he was just questioning him because the day, it was the day before the funeral of Jodie. Now don't forget, this was her boyfriend at the time. Luke was her boyfriend. Now this reporter then started asking questions this and the other, and Luke, I think, uh, I think you can see, I'll see if I can get a thing of the um, interview. And you can see he sort of took back. You know, this is a lot. After this then, the, the um, parents have said, you're not allowed at the funeral, they wouldn't allow him at the funeral, one, because now he's under a suspicion of murdering their child, and that's fair enough. That's their child, and that's fair enough. But then you had the school. Now this boy hasn't really been arrested, he's under suspicion. Then you had his school saying, mm, we don't want you really near the other children, the other kids, because you're dangerous. Well hang on, <laughs> what's about being innocent until proven guilty? Here. And then they expelled him. So this whole town, because they thought he was this, or it was in the press, you know, this Satanist, this devil worshipper, He's murdered his girl. He's murdered Jodie. He's done it. Here's the evidence. There is no evidence in this case whatsoever against Luke Mitchell for the murder of Jodie Jones. Not anything. Not one ounce of it. Anywhere. It's all circumstantial evidence. It's all what the police have made up and put their case together, very much like um, Robert Knapper's case and Colin Stagg. Now the same with Colin Stagg. The press then wanted, didn't they, or the police, wanted to do a honey trap on him. Now that didn't work out very well, actually, in um, the Colin Stagg case, because the police set up a young PC to I don't know, try and influence him into saying things. And that's what a honey trap is. And that backfired really badly. And literally it was thrown out of court. And actually the whole case then against Colin Stagg, because the judge was so <laughs> taken back by how ridiculous their case was. It was a little bit like this one, really. And the judge in this case saw straight through it and threw them out. Now Luke was tried to be trapped, I think in 2018-2019, by a honey trap of a, a reporter 
who was trying to um, encourage him to talk and do different things and stuff and say that she was underage and sent him pictures, this, that and the other. It's entrapment, really, when you think about it. And you think, you know, this boy's been in prison since he was 15 years old. He hasn't grown up, has he? He looks like a man. But is it what experiences he had now being in prison all these years? And you've got a journalist now trying to honey trap him into showing, oh, he likes young girls. Listen, anyone that writes this book, and when you read actually something he said, she says, can I come and visit you? He said, oh, well, I've got my family coming, so I'll have to let you know. Now, <laughs> you know, you think she was trying to entice him into saying incriminating things about young girls, what he'd do to young girls. And I just think it's quite sad, really, for a journalist to stoop so low. If you want to interview the man, go and interview him. If you want to ask him, is he attracted to young girls, ask him. But to do a honey trap, I think we've all learned our lesson about honey traps from these cases. I don't get it. I don't get it. I think journalists just stick to journalism. Go and find out if he did this murder or not, if that's what journalists should be doing. Not trying to honey trap someone that's in a prison for over 20 years and still fighting. I mean, what are you trying to prove? I don't get it. I think with journalists like this, and this is, I get a little bit rolled up by this because you're not talking about a prisoner that has been in there in his 20s or 30s or 40s. You're talking about a prisoner that I believe, whether he'd done this murder or not, his human rights were breached very early on anyway. We cannot allow the law to be used in such a way. Not really. You're making a mockery of it. And then we have a journalist now that's writing to a young lad, or in his mind would still be young. What would experience would he have gained in there, really? What experience? And when you see some of his letters and, and stuff, and I say he talks about his family and his, you know, coming to see him, so he have to fit her in at a later date. This man wouldn't know how to act with a woman. He wouldn't. He's been in there too long. He went in there as a child, and now he's a man. So I don't agree with that at all. I think journalists need to, you know, do more with their time and investigate things like this. If she wanted to know about Luke, ask. I'm sure he'd give you an interview if you asked. But to pretend you're someone else and, and try and, you know, you've, you've got a man here fighting his liberty haven't you really you you really have and a man fighting for his liberty to get out of prison and there's no evidence that actually put him in there there's there's nothing and I, I i i don't know if he did it i'm not saying he didn't do it i'm saying we don't know i think the minute we use the law and we take the law into our own hands and we allow investigators and prosecutors to make up stuff I think we're, you know, on dodgy ground. I think this case is not safe at all. And there's many people that think it. 
And this is why it could be a miscarriage of justice, because of them reasons. And I think they're only, the way the prosecutor went for this, we must have done it because he found the body. You know, and he was on his, you know, they was up there and he went and he jumped over the thing. He jumped over the wall because the dog found the body first. But he forgets to mention this. And then he's took the jury then to this wall and said, how, you know, how would you, could you find a body? Well, what Luke is trying to say is, but I didn't. The dog went first. I followed the dog. They said he was lying. And now you had the story, the actual truth in the beginning, being told by Jodie's mother and the, the sister and the boyfriend had said about the dog right at the first interview with police when they were being questioned. They had mentioned it. A week later, the dog was took out of it. So, that, you know, it's questionable here. Now the problem is, is that, you you know, I'm not saying they're lying. She's just lost her daughter. Is she being told this, you know, by police? Has she forgot? Because it, she could have. She could have forgot. And in her mind, does she believe that's what happened? We don't know. But we do know that in their notes, the police's notes, that's what it stated at first, that they all said that the dog found the body and a week later that changed and then it was Luke that found the body first. You know, the DNA in the condom, we don't know do we, whose that is, I don't know, I don't even know they're investigating whose it is, probably not. I think our court system though now has become, um, I, I, listen, I do English law, England and Wales. Scottish law is a little bit different than what I do uh, and that I was trained to do. So it's, it, I don't, you know, it's only slightly different, but if I actually, if I wanted to go and train and, and work as a lawyer in Scotland, I would have to do some other stuff to do that. You can't, it, it, it's England and Wales, it's not Scotland. So. But I know the basics, as with any of you do, when you are investigating a crime, that you should look at the crime. The crime scene tells a story, doesn't it? The witnesses tell a story, where the body is placed, how the body is placed, all this stuff tells you a story. Eyewitnesses, yes, and this is what it is, and I think the eyewitness said that, you know, she felt it could have been him. It could have been. Didn't say it was. She's driving at 30 miles an hour down the road. So the prosecution has used all this circumstantial evidence to take a man's liberty and discard, I think, anything else. Totally discard it. So for this reason, and this is the only reason I'm doing this case, and I'm not saying that he's innocent or guilty. I'm not. Because I don't know. I think when you've passed a lie detector, both of you, you and your mother, separate times, years later after the event, and it still comes up that you're telling the truth. 
when there is no forensic evidence whatsoever that pins you to this crime in any way. There is no real witnesses as such that can place you there, is there? I think that's telling you there's something wrong with this case. And for that reason, I think I was swaying more to the side that this is a miscarriage of justice. Now, with things with miscarriages of justice, the courts don't like them because one, it's going to cost you money. Of course it is. You've just locked somebody up, haven't you? This is a miscarriage of justice. For 20 odd years, you've took away this man's life from the age of 15. You know, it's just terrible, really. So they're not going to admit it. And there has been so many appeals and different stuff going on here. And he's lost every one of them. And I don't understand why. And I think this, this, that documentary that was on, they tried to show their evidence and there's still a lot of evidence actually being looked into. But no one wanted to know, you see. The only thing that's going to reopen this case or reopen uh, a new trial for Luke Mitchell, it's the public. It's about the opinions of us, the general public. Because all I want you to think about, if your child at 15 was arrested for murder and such a heinous crime as this, and he was took into an interview room with two very large, boisterous, should I say, investigators and interrogated, screamed at, shouted at, with no counsel, there for him. No appropriate adult. His mother was not contacted to say, come and interview. They should have left him until someone was there to be with him. That's when his human rights were breached. He, I think the drink was also um, held back and there was also him being abused um, terribly while he was trying to go to the toilet by the same two interview officers. So, and it comes back, doesn't it, when you think, why? Why was they do it? How could they be so sure that this boy done this murder? Because he found the body. That was it. So all I can say is, don't find a body. Because this could happen to you, or happen to your son, or your daughter, <clears throat> or your husband. Couldn't it? It's a shocking thing really. And it does upset me. There's someone like this. Even the courts are a disgrace in this case. They should reopen this case. Allow it. And that would settle it, wouldn't it? It would settle it. Everyone would be happy then. Because as the years have gone on. Now this woman... This Luke's mother, I've said, has lost everything. She has nothing left. No one talks to her. No one cares. She has no heating. She's actually very ill. She's lost her business because people have trashed it. They've vandalised it. They've burnt her um, mobile homes out. They've burnt her business out. She's lost her home. And she's living now in like a shack 
on the land of the property what used to be her business. That's what's happened there. And she's lost her son. If this is a miscarriage of justice, it's probably one of the most shocking ones I've ever seen, really. And how they haven't, the appeals court and all this, haven't really looked into this case in more depth. I don't understand it. Because there is no evidence here at all. And I keep saying it because there just isn't at all. So I'm going to leave this one up to you and um, see what you think. I mean, Luke may spend the rest of his life in prison because he's certainly not going to admit it. And he said that he's never, ever going to admit this crime at all. Not even to get parole. He's not going to do it. He said he's going to stay in there until the end of his time. He wants to walk out a free man because he believes what he's saying is true. And by doing a lie detector and everything else, he's doing anything he can to prove he's innocent. And no one's listening. No one. So I'm going to leave this up to you. Let me know what you think about this case. There's not really much else I can tell you about this case, apart from I really, um, I'd really like this case to be solved, one way or another. Because if Luke didn't do it, there's someone out there, isn't there, that did? And is it this young lad that died of an overdose, who had the scratches on his face, who people believe that look very similar to Luke? And should we change who we are to fit in with society so we don't get arrested or we don't get looked at as um, a criminal? or a Satanist, or a devil worshipper, or all this stuff. No, because I think life is about being you. We just need to be careful. And I think you need to be very careful anywhere near these, um, <laughs> I wouldn't say him, but anywhere near these investigators, I think we need to be careful. I don't even know they're still working. But I think for what they did, and the breaching the laws that they did and his human rights, they should have lost their jobs. Definitely. Because it's so important, isn't it, that we get the right person and we do the right thing to not jeopardise the case. Now, they didn't, they interrogated him, but he didn't say he was guilty. Or else there would have been grounds for appeal there, wouldn't it? Because it would have been under duress, wouldn't it? He was intimidated. He was pushed into it. He never said, even after being screamed at, shouted at, terrorised, that he did this murder. So, you know what to do. My partner's in crime. You can hit the subscribe button, hit the like button, ding the bell. I think that's what it is. You can follow this on Instagram and on Facebook and you can also catch this on podcast in a few days if you'd like. So, thank you for watching. Until the next time, bye-bye.